there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to my travel podcast, Life's a Beach. Every week I invite a special guest to take us on a journey together to their favorite holiday destinations and to reveal their top travel tips and tales. I must admit I feel a bit silly asking my next guest where he's travelled because we all know we've all grown up with his fascinating award-winning travel documentaries. Not only this, he's also a comedy legend. He's been to North Korea, the North Pole, the South Pole, the Himalayas, but he's never been on Alan Air. His fascinating new book, Into Iraq, is out now. Tray tables down, window blinds up. It's Monty Python legend, Sir Michael Payling. This is the final boarding call for Sir Michael Payling. This is the final boarding call for Sir Michael Payling. Michael Payne, this is the final boarding call. Final boarding call for Michael Payne. Thank you. Look who we've got on board. How are you, Michael? I'm relatively well, considering my age and the fact it's been raining all night. And I'm not downhearted because I'm speaking to you, so I'm happy. <laughs> oh, that's very diplomatic. Thanks for saying that, love. Well, well listen... I'll speak to anybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your fantastic book, Into Iraq. Mm. So tell us, what was people's reactions when you said, I'm off to Iraq? Almost uniformly negative. Yes. Um, um, including my wife, who, who, bless her, is usually very keen for me to go on long journeys away from home. But this Iraq was a journey too far. Mind you, she had been tested by my uh, departure for North Korea about four years ago. So we've been to places no one else wants to go to before. And uh, she, in the end... She's very good. We've been married 56 years, so she's uh, she knows my foibles. So she said, yes, off you go. And you, you say in the book, you know, few people choose to visit, which is one of the best reasons to go there. So, so, so and I know you're inspired, weren't you, by Arabian Nights as well and a bit of Sinbad. So did it deliver what you wanted, Iraq? Uh, well, you see, I didn't know quite what to expect. It certainly... Um, Delivered in the sense it, it satisfied my curiosity about a country and a part of the world that I knew nothing about. 
except that there had been war there for 30 years and terrible sort of killings and, and atrocities and uh, civil war and all that. And I thought, you know, what I suppose what I was worried about was that that would mask everything um, else and I wouldn't meet the local people. I wouldn't find out what's really happening underneath the surface. But we did. We met a lot of local people. We met some uh, and went to some of the schools and some of the young people there, which gave me a great deal of encouragement. So, yes, in that way, it delivered. It wasn't the basket case that people seem to make it out to be. Now everyone seemed really pleased to see you. And because um, that's, yeah. that's the great thing about the book. It sort of challenges uh, your, your perceptions of what it's like. I mean, there was obviously a lot of kindness there. People seemed very generous and lovely, inviting you in for a meal. And Yeah, well, people are, you know, and... Most of the world, I think there's a kind of headline feeling that there are bad people in the world and bad countries and we've got to avoid them. But there are bad rulers and there are some awful governments and there's some very, very nasty sort of military um, you, you know, regimes in the world. But you've got to remember that in all those countries, there are people wanting to live a daily life, you know, send their children to school, yeah. um, set, up, set up house, just make a meal even. And they're the sort of people that... Anywhere in the world, you'll get the same universal response, which is hospitality and welcome. Yeah. Which we could do with a lot more of in this country. I think, oh, sometimes. yeah, couldn't you just? Listen, did you ever feel, oh, my God, what am I doing? I've made a big mistake here. Have you ever? <laughs> did, did you ever go, what the hell was I thinking? Be honest, Michael, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, I'll be honest for once. Uh, I, did have a, I did have a moment of a real doubt at the airport in Istanbul. We'd flown in, because we are going into Iraq via Turkey and, and southeastern Turkey. I'd never been to before. It's rather beautiful. But anyway, we had a long uh, flight out one day from London to Istanbul. We had a very short night. Um, we had to make a very early start on an internal flight. And with all the filming baggage, it takes hours to get through immigration security. And eventually they said, oh, Michael, come on, we're ready, off we go. And I stood up and and the room was spinning, the terminal was spinning around. I was giddy, I had to grab onto to the, the back of a seat um, and I just didn't know quite what was happening. And I thought, this is, I mean, started filming and now I'm revealing, you know, this is this is what's happened. I've had a heart operation, I'm seven, nearly 79 years old, I shouldn't have done this. But it was all settled. A lovely sound man, Doug, handed me a bottle of water. And he said, I'll have some water. And I had the water. And I think it was just dehydration. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually uh, finished the water and staggered to the departure, departure gate. And after that, I was absolutely fine. But that was a moment when I thought, what am I doing? How embarrassing. I'll have to tell them before we've even got on the, the right plane that I'm not the, I'm not the presenter. We'll have to send for Joanna Lumley, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I was, uh, when I read the book, was really interesting. It was like Basra. Now, because you were basically going to places that I only ever saw on the news when ISIS brought out one of those awful beheading videos. And you were going everywhere with Kirkuk, you know, and uh, Basra. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Basra was the Venice of the East back in the day. And yeah. you saw little glimpses of what Basra could be. Yeah, and very sad it was too. That's the problem about southern Iraq. There are some real treasures there. There's Basra, which was once a beautiful city of canals and these lovely sort of wooden balcony buildings, very delicate, beautifully made. 
And then around there, there are there are ziggurats. There are an extraordinary collection of very, very ancient 5,000-year-old artefacts. But they're not really looked after very well, I have to say, at the moment. And I think the Iraqis are really missing a trick because it will be a tourist paradise in a way, that the southern part, but it's not looked after. And Basra was really disappointing because the houses were falling down. The canals were just full of uh, muck that had been thrown in there. And that was one of the, the sadder things on a journey which was generally <laughs> generally sort of heartwarming rather than heart cooling. Because you, you, you sort of hint in the book that maybe Iraq's looking for a future a bit like Dubai, where wouldn't it be lovely if they just sort of looked back? I mean, I, you can imagine, you can understand why they don't want to look back. I mean, they've gone through hell and stuff, but you'd like to keep some of the older buildings. But do you reckon it will maybe, you know, we'll get in a time machine in a hundred years? Do you reckon it will embrace tourism and you'll have like a Dubai kind of place? I, I don't know. There's so many different aspects to Iraq. The north... And Kurdistan, they're very sort of go-ahead up there. They didn't have any ISIS beheadings. They, ISIS never invaded their capital, Erbil. So they're very comfortably, comfortably off. They're very welcome to outside investment and all that. And I can see Kurdistan and northern Iraq becoming, that part of northern Iraq, becoming quite Dubai-like. Um, but I hope it keeps its own identity. They've got all these different parts of Iraq, very strong tribal identities. And I think you've got to understand that. You've got to realise that it's not like a single homogenous country with a government that can take one decision for everybody. Everyone's going to squabble over every decision that's taken. But I think, you know, Kurdistan's interesting. That that That's, that, that's um, a very comfortable place to be, to go to at the moment. But the South, there's a lot of religious differences, very, very strong, um, you know, fundamentalist uh, Arab regime around there. And and they're, they're not easy to talk to, I'm afraid. But, you know, everyone's different. We'll just have to try and hope for the best. What would you like to see done to those Saddam, Hus Saddam Hussein's um, palaces? They seem, what a squander thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to make them into like a national trust kind of place yeah, that people yeah. visit. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there is an interest yeah. in these awful yeah. dictators, isn't there? I mean, why yeah, can't I mean, they make it into something? Well... I think that's right. And there, there's one palace that we went to, which is actually built overlooking Babylon, the old site of Babylon. And he wasn't content with trying to rebuild Babylon. He built his summer palace looking down over it. And that wasn't destroyed. Most of his palaces were destroyed by Allied bombing and trying to get rid of ISIS and all that. This one wasn't. It was just left open to the public. And anyone could wander through these halls with amazing, beautiful work of marble floors and beautifully sculptured ceilings and woodwork from Morocco and all that. And people have just gone in there and graffitied the walls with things, you know, what they feel about Saddam Hussein. So that's one use of it. You know, you have your Saddam Hussein complaint centre <laughs> set in a wonderful palace. Write whatever you want. But I, I absolutely agree with you. I think they ought to do something with the other buildings Either they've got to knock them down completely, and they're big buildings, it's hard to destroy them completely, or they've got to, in the end, try and find some way of using them for, you know, cult their cultural value or whatever. Um, but that's another big, big problem for the country. Because I saw some of the graffiti, and I don't think Banksy would lose any sleep. I mean, it was quite... Um... <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's a good idea. Get Banksy over there. That would be wonderful. You could teach, teach them how to do it. Banksy Baghdad Limited. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hello, sir. Would you like anything off the trolley? We've got fish, we've got chicken. What type of fish? Um, it's a fish called Wanda. <laughs> There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. It's suggested that brands avoid using sound effects in podcast ads. And remember to speak in a chill tone. Well, here's a suggestion for everyday life. Tap into the Weather Channel app. It's loaded with insights that help you manage your allergies, breathe easy, and use your outside voice. What in the weather are you waiting for? Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. This episode is brought to you by Funnables. Funnables aren't just fruit snacks. Every bite your child takes is fuel to spark their imagination, taking them from a wild unicorn space mission to a deep sea dive into a rainbow river. Funnables are made with 7.1% real fruit puree and are an excellent source of vitamins A, C, and E. So anytime, any place, make snack time playtime with Funnables fruit snacks. Have fun. Eat it too. Visit FunnablesNacks.com to shop now. I feel silly asking you this because this is a travel podcast and I always say, what kind of a traveller are you? But of course, we all know what kind of traveller you are because we've seen all your amazing documentaries and everything. One thing I'm interested in, tell me about travel now. Do you think travel's got worse? Because I think it used to be quite glamorous. I think travel now is a lot less fun than it used to be. Do you agree, Michael? Well, I make it as fun as I can by going to places where no one else goes to. So I've got a story to tell. I think what happens now is there's a kind of... It's become a commodity travel. And a lot of people um, just go to one place, they see it fairly briefly, they come back home again. And to me, that's limiting the excitement and the, the, the essential joy of travel, which is finding out different places, new places, going to having an experience which is very, very different than you'd have back home at Wolverhampton or, you know, Glasgow or Sheffield or wherever. Um, I think that's the, that's the split for me. But I think, yeah, it's hard to, to stop people wanting to get on a cruise liner and go to Venice. They don't have long in Venice. They, they spend most of the time on a cruise liner living like they do at home. And I think that's a pity. I think you've got to take a bit of a gamble with travel and you've got to go into, if you really want to understand the rest of the world, you've got to go meet the people. And and that's that's the problem with mass tourism. You don't really have time to do that. You can't get 3,000 people off a ship going into a, a little guy's sort of jewellery shop. Here we all are. Yeah, what's your name? <laughs> 3,000 right. bracelets, please. Yeah, <laughs> but he'd love it, mind you, the man who runs the shop. But that's my feeling about travel generally. Where did you holiday as a child? In Norfolk, North Norfolk. Went to a place called Sheringham. And it was so exciting because we were born and brought up in a rather grimy city in, in southern Yorkshire, Sheffield. 
and we would go to Norfolk, which was where my father hailed from originally. And there was one point called Pretty Corner, above the sea, where you could first see the sea. And to me, that was just hugely exciting. It's a grey mass. It's nothing very much to see. I don't know if you've seen the North Sea from Pretty Corner, <laughs> but it isn't great. But to me, it was the most exciting thing of all. And when we, when we had to go back after two weeks... I used to get very, very, very sad, really. Early depression, that was. <laughs> what sort of sparked your love of travel? Was it just like maybe Norfolk? Was it like uh, having these experiences? I don't know. I always think, I think it might, it's there in, inside me for some reason. I don't know where it would all come from. I mean, there are some children who, as soon as they can walk or crawl, they're off, you yeah, know, out yeah. the door. I think I was probably one of those. I don't think I ever wanted to sit in one place for long. And, of course, there wasn't much chance of travelling from Sheffield in the 50s. Nobody had any money. There wasn't mass travel. Um, air travel was for the very, very few and the very privileged. So a lot of it was done, um, you, you know, by, through books and magazines, National Geographic magazine and all that. I read stories that were all based abroad. And I realised that this, is, this added a drama to my boring, dull life. Um, at home, that was that was really exciting. I, I thought I'd never really travelled, but I would I would learn it from these books, and I would I would kind of get the get the experience by proxy. The thing is, I did one of those DNA shows, and they never actually went with the story. They never showed this on the telly. But my great uncle in the war. Row because he was a great rower. Used to row across the Tigris with some injured soldiers to oh, take wow. them to the hospital. Hey. I mean, I am, as you can imagine, I'm not the most sportiest of person. I mean, that was such a shock. But I mean, I would be tempted to go there, but I don't know because, like you say in the book, um, you know, loose talk. Because there was a frustrating bit where you had to just stay didn't you, in your balcony? They said, well, it's best if you don't go down. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah. That must have been frustrating for you because I bet you are just chomping at the bit to get down on the ice street. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 do, I did find the restriction that we were told by our security guy who was with us, it's best if when you're in a hotel, don't go out on your own. Always go with somebody else because you could be a target. Um which is quite, you know, it's quite a worry, really. But, I mean, it takes away one of the great joys, as you say, of travelling, which is wandering off, going to the market for yourself and feeling I'm in a different world, a different location, but nobody worries. They're all... And, and they were all friendly. It wouldn't have been a problem, but there they, there we are. Security has to be, you know, in, in, in somewhere like Iraq, it's got to be a major consideration because, you know, people do get bumped off still terrifying have you ever gone let's dish the dirt i mean we're not naming and shaming this is a very friendly podcast have you been anywhere <laughs> in the world which just been a bit disappointing you're like it's not really what you were hoping for you were a bit disappointed with babylon weren't you yeah i was disappointed with babylon but the, you, you use a bit of imagination and you can feel you are walking on the same... Well, not you're, you're walking literally on the same floor as Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, it's like being back in the Bible. They would have touched these walls, but a lot of it's been rebuilt. So, yes, that was a problem. But, I mean, it was still exciting. I mean, there are terrible places I've been. There was a, there was a place, a wonderful name. In, it was in Russia. It was called Duno. 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 It should have remained Duno, D-N-O. <laughs> and we were going to get a, a, a night train down to, I think we were going to Kiev, Kiev as it is now. So it was, uh, when we travelled, it was still part of the Soviet Union. And we had to go to this 
Um, this was the only place where we could catch the overnight train. We got to the station completely dark, and from the sidings around, we suddenly realised faces peered out, and there were children living on in on the railway lines underneath the wagons, underneath the carriages there, and they gradually sort of began to move out and move towards us. And there was no one else on the station apart from us and our crew. Fortunately, the train was on time, thank God, and it arrived and, and we were snatched away from Deneau just just in time. But it was a it was a strange experience. Everything was rather odd about it. As the train came in, you know, all the the the, the train staff were all watching some porn film in the back <laughs> back compartment, and I thought, this is, this is not the Bluebell Railway. <laughs> this is not not Thomas the Tank Engine time here. Yeah, it's a train is, going uh, in a tunnel, but it's not the kind uh, that. <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is that. But that there are places sometimes which are pretty horrible. And you can't wait to get out of. On the whole, though, I'm I'm just if I'm in a place which is still it might be badly run. It might be there might be army there, like going into Ethiopia once. But it's still you're in this amazing place, and you can look around and you see waterfalls and mountains you'd never expected to see in your life. That's all exciting. Does your wife ever say, "Oh, Michael, can't we just go to Centre Parks or something yeah. like that"? <laughs> Where does she want to go when she goes on holiday? Can you give in and go, OK, well, let's not go to a war zone. Let's go somewhere nice with an all-you-can-eat buffet and a swing ball. Yeah, yeah I don't have any of that talk. I say none of that talk, please. Um, no, we, 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 she is quite different from me, which works very, very well. Because if she was a, a real keen traveller... She would have been very, very envious of my travels and probably not either um, said, you know, if you're going, if I'm not going, you can't go. I don't think she would have been like that, but that could have been a problem. She just likes going somewhere fairly comfortable, uh, fairly nearby, uh, although New York is probably her favourite city um, outside, of, uh, outside of where we are. But we, we go to France or we go to Italy and we have a good time there, and that's what she—that's what she enjoys. Can uh, you relax on holiday, or are you all itching to go? Oh, let's go somewhere else. I know you said you can't; you have to keep moving. Can you relax on holiday? Um, well, I can. Yeah, I can actually. Um, it's not that easy because there's always some project in the back of my mind. Always, I'm always thinking, "Oh dear, I should be reading this, or I should be writing that." But I don't mind. You know, if it's got a nice swimming pool and the sun's shining. I'm not a great beach person. I can't. I can't lie out on the beach for long. I used to love it, but now I don't. And smothering myself in oil, um, I don't. Especially as it's cooking oil, um, that doesn't really. Uh, we do it on the cheap. We we you know that doesn't appeal to me greatly, and smothering out endless showers and all that. But yeah, no, no. I, 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 if I've been working hard, a break away. Somewhere nice and comfortable is absolutely the best thing ever, and I can relax for about an hour or two. Obviously, people listen to this and they want to know places to go, and we want to be quiet. We want to reach out to everyone. Tell us a UK gem somewhere in Great Britain that you love going to. It can be a cove, it can be a beach, it can uh, be a town, just somewhere that uh, you go you absolutely love. Well, for me, it's the west coast of Scotland, and particularly Glencoe. It's a bit wild. It's not exactly swimming pool territory. Um, but 
that uh, I, I fell in love with Glencoe when we filmed Monty Python and the Holy Grail up in Scotland. And we got to know a wonderful man, Hamish McInnes, who was a mountaineer. He was head of mountain rescue at Glencoe. And he it was who helped us to throw bodies off the Bridge of Eternal Peril in, into the gorge. You know, So you had the head of mountain rescue tossing people up in the air. <laughs> so to anyone driving by, who's that? Oh, that's head of mountain rescue. But he's killing people. No, no, no. So I, 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 I love Glencoe. It's spectacular. And if you go just beyond Glencoe to the West Coast, um, uh, the Western Isles, they're absolutely superb. And uh, nothing better than that. There's some lovely hotels there now, beautiful sort of fresh fish, and all around you, the most sensational landscape. And it's, it's it, you know, it's a couple of hours from Glasgow. So you're not far away from somewhere really comfortable or metropolitan if you get bored. But yeah, I would say Glencoe and the Western Isles of Scotland, absolutely the best. Very uh, hospitable up in Scotland. I did a stand-up tour up there and I remember reading in your diaries about how, and things haven't changed, Michael, you know, when you, one minute past nine, you've been on stage and you say, you couldn't make me a sandwich, could you? You know, when you go to B&B, no, we can't make you a sandwich. It hasn't changed. We still haven't, you know, you still can't get a decent meal after a show. And I remember reading that and going, God, even Monty Python can't get a sandwich and a packet of crisps or a hot meal after you've performed. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah, but that, that, that's not just Scotland. I've just been doing this tour, which I call about Iraq and North Korea. I call it the Axis of Evil tour. And uh, that was fun. But again, you know, it's it's hard work, two and a half hours of stuff. And at the end, you know, not to be able to get even a sandwich in a hotel. But usually there's there used to be a wonderful sort of character in the hotel. You don't have them so many now called night porters. And he had to get on with the night porter. It was usually some old bloke who'd been in the army and all that. And he'd say, have you got anything at all? He said, no. You know, anything to eat or drink? No. He said, nothing, you know, a beer or something? No. And then they produce a whole box of miniature whiskies, and you'd just drink those. <laughs> and something like a Rolo to go with it. <laughs> something Rolo. utterly inappropriate. And there was uh, a wonderful man I used to work with called Neil Innes, and Neil was a terrific, you know, his work probably, and a marvellous musician, very funny man. And we used to call him Night Porter Beta because whenever every hotel we got to, he always asked these enormous demands of the Night Porter. <laughs> and he never got much. He always got, you know, a little bit of sort of uh, half drunk, half drunk sort of cocoa, and that was about it. But there we are. That's We, we keep going on the road. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? We could do it at home. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time now for our final trolley service of the flight before we arrive in Glencoe, Scotland. What would you like off the trolley, sir? Choose panini, choose beef, choose chicken, choose a fucking scratch card, choose Pringles, choose a microwave. Thank you, that will be £5.70. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonder Water. What makes Bi so great? It's simple. From Raspberry Lemon Lime by Sydney Sweeney to Zambia Bing Cherry and Palavo Pineapple Mango. Bi has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. So, for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bi and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbi.com. Well, we're about to start our descent because we're on a plane, Michael. Keep it up. Pretend, yeah. pretend. Yes, yes. Go yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit it. wobbly. 
And okay, you're 100 years old. You're sitting there in your rocking chair. You've got all your all your faculties. Everything works. You've got a rug on your knee. Where do you want to be? Ooh, see, that's a good ah. question, isn't it? It is a very good question because you see, I would say boringly, I want to be with my children and my grandchildren at home. But that's a little bit boring. I probably think I wanted to be in Kashmir on a place called Dal Lake, which is the most serene and wonderful place. I've ever been to. Um, it's this great big lake up uh, disputed. It's a disputed area, Kashmir, so you might get shot. But actually, the lake has these beautiful old uh, barges that were built by the Victorians there in, in the uh, the end of the 19th century. And I've never been as, as quite quite serene as I as there. And I think if I was 100 years old and didn't have long to go, I'd like to have my rocking chair on the side of one of these barges, watching the rain coming down on the water. And I always ask these questions at the end. They are quick fire, Michael. Okay, mint tea or mojito? <laughs> mojito. Fong or sarong? Will you wear a speedo on holiday, or would you have a no, sarong? Sarong. <laughs> Three-piece suit for me, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> Mozzie guard or no thanks, I'm hard. Do you take Mozzie guard plasters and everything like that just in case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything anti-bug I do take. That's the that's the primary cream to put on. Well, I mean, I won't get into detail, but yes. <laughs> Mozzie guard man. And last question, tip them or fuck them? Do you... <laughs> Tip people, or or do you think I'm never going to see you again? I'm not giving you any money. Do you no, tip? No, I, I tip them. I tip them. Yeah, I always, I always. Well, some places they get a bit upset if you tip them if they've done something rather special and they're a family or something like that. But hotels, I tip. Yeah, and 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 if people have you have a good guide, a good driver, yeah. And sometimes I tip the worst drivers because I just don't, don't I just want to get out. Yeah, Please yeah. stop. Here's here, here's five dollars. Let me get out. Get yourself some so, driving yeah, lessons. But, <laughs> very, very useful to have your few dollar bills there. They have to be dollar bills. No one takes no one takes a sterling tip anymore. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> what is that? What is that? No, that's from England. No, no, no. <laughs> Give us the dollars, man. Thank you so much, Michael. Very nice talking to you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. The book's brilliant the and good luck with everything. All right. All the very best. Take care. Bye-bye, love. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thank you for flying Alan Air. Thank you, Sir Michael Palin. What an honour to speak to you. Wow, wow, wow. And also check out his book, Into Iraq. It's out now. Thank you guys for listening. We really do appreciate it. Have a lovely week and don't you ever forget, like the beach.